I think it's important to note that uh, fundamentals are also very strong. We've got a, a growing economy, uh, jobs, income. My administration has a job to do as well. And that job is to get this economy back on its feet. First of all, I don't, I don't see America having problems. 25 years ago, I got ripped off with some whole life life The insurance. only type of life insurance that you should have, in my opinion, is term insurance. Welcome to Infinite Banking Radio. In three short years, our financial system has turned upside down, but we still hear the same rhetoric and are pushed into the same strategies. The Infinite Banking concept is a proven system that will transform your financial future. Now here's your host, Patrick Donahoe. Hey everybody, thank you uh, for joining us today. This is Patrick Donahoe and you're listening to Infinite Banking Radio. It is uh, it's February, February 2013. It's been a while since we've uh, we've been in the studio to do the podcast, but there's uh, been quite a bit going he- uh, on here at Paradigm Life. And so we uh, we actually moved our office at the beginning of this year, and uh, it was uh, anything but uh, anything but easy due to uh, in- internet and, and other uh, technical complications. But uh, but we're up and running, and we're excited to uh, to start the new year in a fresh fresh new space. Uh, today I have uh, Brad Gibb with me, one of our advisors. Brad, what's up? Great to be here. How, how was how was the move for you? Uh, never never goes as planned, right? No, never. If, if there's something that can go wrong, it always will, right? <laughs> it's all right. It, it's all it's all done. It's all good. It wasn't the, the ideal way to start the year, but uh, but we're here. But it's been good. Good fresh start. We've seen a lot of lots of growth. Lots. Of, I mean, just gangbusters. So it's been yeah, it's, great. Ama- it's amazing. Look at uh, how how the economy affects a person's perspective on what they're doing especially at the new in the new year and makes them question quite a bit especially when strategy and things that they thought were true turn out not to be and well and and as we go further into it it's kind of that old adage that a recession is when your neighbor loses his job and it's a depression when you when you lose yours right and the deeper we get into this and the longer we go the more people are getting affected and the more it's making them think and, and process this and try to look at at what they really ought to be thinking about and doing so sure. I, I think it's been extended that yeah, way and sometimes i mean it's not necessarily just you know job loss but it's also uh losing money losing investment having a, a deal go sour but uh but those you know those events are are there and it's not just uh in relation to money but it's all all areas of life those events are are really there to, to teach us lessons make us wake up make us look at um what we need to improve on so i think that's the beauty of a, of a new year and a good reset uh so today we're going to get into just uh just investments themselves and how and and how uh how the infinite banking concept relates to investments, or how it's used in conjunction uh, with with investments. Uh, before we get to that, uh, you know, we've we've worked heavily on on the technology side of our of our business, and so uh, for those of you who have not implemented the infinite banking concept, uh, you can go and check out our website uh, www.paradigmlife.net. On there is a a free crash course. In the infinite banking concept, we're actually going to be uh, perfecting it a little bit this year. Uh, but right now, there's uh, you know two three hours of tutorials and videos and things that you can do to uh, to educate yourself about uh, about what we do here and uh, about a financial strategy that has become very popular over the last uh, last few years. Um, so so looking at uh, again going into our topic for today, I want to talk about just uh, just investment investment in general. And uh, I think there's a it's kind of a double edged sword, you know, an investment. 
you you obviously have this uh, this this pie in the sky hope. I think everybody at one point or another in their lives experiences the lottery type of effect, where they, they picture themselves with these uh, these this massive amount of money, this massive amount of wealth, and what they could do with that, and where they can spend their time, and they have to work at a job. And I think everybody go, goes through that. And oftentimes, the uh, the cliche with investments is uh, is is really getting into something with the hopes of of making it big. But does it always mm-hmm. turn out that way? Not always. No, I mean if you, if you look at just just the nature of investment. I mean, we had a discussion today in our office about just investments in general. And Brad, why don't you give a summation of, of uh, what, what we went through as far as analyzing what an investment is, how it comes to be, et cetera. Yeah, so we started out by just discussing what is the motivation behind it? Why does an opportunity come about? And it centers in somebody's desire or, or has a need that needs to be filled. So if you're looking to acquire an investment, you want to... I mean, the short of it would be make money, improve your circumstances, uh, or or make a change. And the and the person on the selling end of that isn't necessarily losing his shirt. It may be the best thing for him as well to move on. Uh, sometimes it's cut his losses and moves on, but a lot of times it's freeing up capital to to produce something more productive for him. But that's the thing. In the end, there's there's two parties in every in every transaction. And if you look at a, a capitalistic society, the idea is that both parties walk away with, you know, with uh, with more be- than better, they started better with. than what they started with, mm-hmm. right? And so, but like you said, I mean, an investment comes to be uh, from an idea. Now, it could be an actual physical investment, such as a, a piece of property or an oil and gas operation. But you got to remember that even those types of investments, it originates with the idea behind a value proposition. And the value proposition is easy to to analyze and look at when it comes to you know the normal tried and true investments, such as you know real estate, or oil and gas, uh, getting into securities as well. Uh, but but individuals as they go into an investment, they're not really looking at the investment from the eyes of the person selling the investment. They're going into the investment looking at it through their eyes, what they're going to gain. But oftentimes, they don't really understand the investment or it's not clear to them the value proposition until they look at the investment through the other person's eyes. Why are they selling? What's in it for them? What are they going to gain from it? Um, are they are they doing it out of desperation? Um, are, are they doing it because they just want to get out and move on with certain life? I mean, th- those are questions that should be answered in any any type of investment. And I think oftentimes, you know, you look at a lot of the schemes and the uh, and the fraud that's out there in relation to to investments. Um, you know, you you are able to see that there is a part of human nature that really messes up those types of transactions because human beings out there, we all have self interest. We all want to progress. We all want to get to the next level. And oftentimes, individuals cut corners to be able to make that happen, and they cut one little corner, which leads to another. Decent sized corner, which leads to another big corner, and eventually you get a full blown, full blown scheme and, and massive loss. And looking at you know since since we've been doing since I've been, since I've been doing this since uh, since two thousand seven, we've we've come across literally every investment under the sun. It seems like obviously I'm you know being facetious because I don't know every single investment that's ever ever existed, but we've seen a lot of things uh, not turn out the right way. And uh, so one specific thing is that a lot of our clients are, are heavily involved with real estate, especially rental real estate. And since the 2008 uh, downturn, there's been a lot of success, a lot of success stories. Okay, But looking at success, success is not just a two, three, four year window. Because okay? remember, when you put a down payment on a property, okay, you're not going to get back your principal in the first two, three, four years. The principal is going to come back probably you know, maybe five, six, seven years, depending on the deal. right? But if you're buying rental real estate, buying for the long term, you're not going to get your down payment back for quite a few years. And so judging the success of an investment shouldn't be done until that break-even point exists. But my point with that is looking at the cyclical nature of real estate, okay, you have to really look at what happened in 2006 and 2007. Because there's a lot of people that had the same aspirations 
operations is 2008, 2009, right? Yep. But what happened to them? They, well, a lot of them did not weather that storm well. Yeah. Yep. So what do you think, what are some of the reasons why individuals got, I mean, got into real estate, they bought property, they, they got into uh, tenant in common projects, they got into development projects and they have these, you know, oh, this is what I'm going to get in the end. And they, again, it's the whole self-interest behind investments. What, what happened? During the run-up? Yeah. Well, it, I think that it, it was that that they lost focus of that value proposition. And they were saying, what's in it for the person buying? What's really making this investment a good investment? It has to be, and, and we go by this tenement as well, it has to be a win-win. Yeah. If, there's, if there's a win-lose, then it's not a viable long-run mm-hmm. investment. It's a gamble yeah. that you're not going to be the one losing. And as people started to look at it more from the gambling aspect where it was it was hype. It was appreciation. It was it was a very short run mm-hmm. approach. I think that's what led them to make poor decisions. Mm-hmm. Whereas they got away from focusing more on the long run, a system, a you know, it works, multiple exit strategies, whatever it is. Yep. That I think that's that was a lot of the impetus behind. It. And I think you hit a, you hit a key point because most individuals when they go into a business deal, they they have they have one specific outcome, and that's what they're looking for. But at the same time, you always have other outcomes that can potentially uh, need to happen. Because if you look at certain parameters, certain variables of the equation, a lot of times you don't have control over those. And so obviously the market downturn, a lot of people did did predict it, but a lot of people that were buying just were oblivious to the fact that, hey, there could be a bubble, there could be a credible, there could be a credit crisis. And, uh, and so a lot of people got, got burned. So what lessons did people learn from that? Does it mean that all the investors since 2008 have been rosy as far as the deals that they've gotten into? Not not at all. Now, some, like I said, some people have gotten into some, some decent projects, but it's too soon to tell because typically on those real estate projects, they haven't really turned the corner as far as what they put into it versus what they've received out. Exactly. Okay. So, so looking at, I guess, getting into some sort of an investment, because there are, are things associated with that, with that deal that uh, imply risk, how do, how do you go about mitigating risk? The what we what we talk about here in mitigating risk centers around in a in a large part removing emotion from the decisions mm-hmm. and putting in a system of rules that helps define your outcomes mm-hmm. as opposed to chance or as opposed to your whim or somebody else's whim, but putting together almost a mathematical equation that says one plus one is two, mm-hmm. and that's what's going to determine our profit. Mm-hmm. But you have to have mar- there's mar- you have to give a margin for error though, sure. right? Because looking at human nature, human nature we're, we we're, we have inherent flaws, right? We make bad judgment, we make errors, we make poor calculations. You're you're you know you have a, you have a background in economics and account. You have a master's in accounting. Have you made errors mathematically before? Not once. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, that's the deal. Is of we all, you know we, human nature we're we're susceptible to error, and so being able to to prevent. Or be able to you know jump over that type of error in the event that it happens, it requires a good plan because most individuals are looking at an investment as their plan. Is an investment a plan? No, no, it's not. I mean, an investment is is basically a you know a, a mutual uh, arrangement between you know a few one you know two people or more people. Right. And that, that's just the nature you know, of, of getting more for what you're putting in, which is the nature of an investment or nature of a, a rate of return. So if you look at um, you know, just kind of why individuals have failed is because they typically buy into the rhetoric that an investment is a plan, like a 401k, like a mutual fund, or, or even real estate. We've seen a lot of that. Individuals want to get into real estate and have more cash flow than they have 
expenses. They want to get out of the rat race. They want to be financially free. But they don't realize that if they are sinking all of their money into projects and they're just building and building and building up their cash flow and then a roof goes out, okay, or a tenant sues them or they have vacancy for six months or there's a fire and they need to put up a deductible and they have enough insurance. There's all sorts of things that go on, okay, which would ruin you know, obviously everything else that the person has. And so looking at obviously a plan, uh, I mean, we can just touch on what I just mentioned. I mean, you, you have to have adequate reserves. You have to have cash. You have to, you know, be able to measure, okay, what type of vacancy rates that you have. Because you're not always going to have 100%. And you're going to have different maintenance issues and, and so forth. So a plan around that is going to be vital. And you own a bunch of property. I mean, what are, what are, some, of the, what are some of the strategies you use, you use or the systems that you use to make sure that in the event of those unforeseen circumstances, you're properly protected? Yeah, well, success in, in any type of investing, not alone, let alone real estate, is, is very dependent upon economic conditions. It depends on what's going on at the time. You mentioned that a lot of people think real estate is a system to get out of the rat race. Real estate's the product that they're using. And, and if, we, if we rewind and talk again, you know, right now we're in this post-08 time period and certain strategies are working. Those same strategies didn't work from 03 to 06. A whole different set of strategies was applied to the same product of real estate. So people made money and lost money in real estate all through these times. So it's not real estate. It's the system that they're putting in, into play. And so for us, the way, the way I invest in real estate specifically is I, I've got multiple ways that I'm going to make money. Uh, I'm going to make money when I buy in some form. I'm going to be able to make money as I hold it, and I'm going to have an objective of how I sell it. So if one of those doesn't go the way I want it to go, I still have another way that money's going to be made. And, and then you've already mentioned reserves backing that up because cash buys us time to play out those different scenarios. Some of those scenarios will take time, and if I don't have enough cash to buy that time, then I'm, then I'm not going to be able to, to, to go to plan C or D. I'm, I'm going to be out of options. So for me, it's about keeping options open as long as possible through the investment process. And I, I think looking at a bank when they're qualifying a mortgage i mean they they require you to have reserves for each of each of your property they don't do it to make life difficult they do it because you know they understand that there are these unforeseen events that that happen so looking at you know looking at what what we do in treating your your personal economy like like a bank you basically place rules on the way that you invest and what you do with the subsequent return on investment or cash flow. And up to this year, I mean, you, you primarily with your investments, you never took any income. You kept accumulating and you owned some with your brother and it kept accumulating. You didn't necessarily take it income. You basically rolled it and you rolled it and you rolled it. And most individuals are not in that MO. Basically, when individuals have an increase in income, what happens to that human nature side of them? If they have an increase or a bump in income of 500 bucks a month or $1,000 a month, what typically, what typically occurs in their mind as far as what they can now do in their personal economy? It, expenses rise to meet that increased income. Yep. And so you look at one of the rules with the, with the infinite banking concept is whether it's a personal purchase or whether it's an investment, once you make that investment, you don't consider that investment a return until you've recouped all the money that you put into the investment. So for example, you put $100,000 into a piece of real estate, okay? And you uh, have $2,000 a month of net cash flow after all expenses. That is not a return on investment until when? 50 months, right? Yep. 
And if you treat it that now you can you can obviously you can argue you can argue oh well, there's equity in the property which is which is true but equity is is ambiguous as anything because you know one day it can exist the other day it can't so my my point in that is you're treat you're placing a rule on the way in which you invest and you have that money liquid the money's there you can use it for other things but again what you do is you just encourage some discipline along with your investments so kind of stemming off to to kind of uh, and end up our segment for today the the infinite banking concept is not a an alternative to real estate it's not an alternative to another type of investment or business venture it's basically a store of capital okay and in that storage of capital you have something very unique that doesn't exist in other assets such as that first off you have growth that is really outmatched or not outmatched by any other investment because it's one of the only ones that still is liquid but yet grows tax free but it's still pretty much one of the only vehicles out there that guarantees you a loan against the principal of your account. So as you're putting money away, as you're increasing it with the interest and dividends that you receive tax-free, you're able to draw a loan from the insurance company to purchase this real estate. So not only do you have the growth as far as your account is concerned, but you also have the ability to grow your assets and grow your cash flow through the use of the loan provision. So, I mean, you've been doing this now for uh, almost a year. What What are some of the ways in which you've seen clients use uh, policies or use the infinite banking concept with investments. We've uh, in just the short amount of time I've been doing this on, on an exclusive basis. I've seen countless ways that this is used, as many ways as our individuals to use it. Mm-hmm. The most difficult thing to get across to people is because we're a product-oriented society, we look at it through the lens of mutual exclusiveness yeah. and saying. I either buy the insurance policy or I make this other investment, and that's not it. So as we've shown people how to move money through the system, lots of ideas have come up everywhere from I mean, the typical ones from the investment standpoint are real estate, down payments, renovations. Mm-hmm. But I was even talking with uh, some people earlier uh, in the week, and they have a kid going to private school, and they get a discount for paying on an annual basis. Mm-hmm. So if they front the money, they get to save, it was close to 10%. Wow. So they can use the policy, pay, the, pay it up front, because you know, right now they don't have the liquid capital to do it, but if they had acquired it, they could mm-hmm. do that, then repay themselves and recapture that 10%. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's even very minor, simple ways to use this and enhance the everyday transactions that we invest in, not just the, the big you know, ones that come to mind as far as investments are concerned. Yeah, and discounts like that have always existed, but there's never been really a mechanism to ask the right questions. Because even with a purchase, not just an investment, you have two. You still have two parties. Whenever you're buying something, somebody somebody is selling, and obviously tuition. You're buying it because somebody's selling it. They set up the school, they set up the curriculum, they set up the teachers, and they charge. They charge for that. They're getting something, and you're getting something. That's kind of the you know the, the nature of a good exchange. But looking at that, I mean, I, I'm a landlord. If I had a tenant come to me and say, "Hey, I'll I'll pay my full year up front." I mean, I would for sure take, give them a little bit of a discount if I can get that capital capital up front. Yeah, because capital today is worth more than tomorrow. And so that's what you're offering to them. Mm-hmm. And then you, you know your kid's going to be there and you've got the stream of cash flow. It's, it's worth it to you to outlay it. The money's still going to work inside your policy mm-hmm. as if it never came out. Mm-hmm. And, and you benefit on the other side of it. 
Yeah, and so again, looking at these opportunities, would these opportunities have existed with without the system? Maybe they they were there already, okay, but the actual awareness of them didn't exist. So now you take into consideration um, one of the other important factors here, which is the idea behind control, and we'll end with this. So with individuals and the normal way in which an investment takes place, it's not necessarily out of the basis of logic; it's out of the basis of trusting somebody else. Okay, this guy has some letters behind his name, therefore I trust him. Okay, this guy works for a prestigious money management firm, I trust him. This guy works for this, this guy works for that, this guy has gray hair, this guy has this, this, this guy drives a nice car, right? Individuals normally do not take as much responsibility as they should for the, for the money that they're, they're saving and not, or money they're making and not spending, which is their savings. Okay, as they put money into these different vehicles, they give up an enormous amount of control. And what that does, those actions affect their perspective on life. Okay, it's no longer this, it's, it's more of a worrying state than anything else. And looking at worry, looking at stress, looking at anxiety, what does that do to the other areas of life? And so looking at the infinite banking concept, not only does it present opportunities such as the tuition discount, and we've had you know, business owners that have done something similar at a very high level, okay, $100,000, $200,000 of rent each year getting discounted by 10 15%. Okay, it goes more, more than that. But not only those opportunities are created, okay, but the perspective you have on life is different. The way in which you think is different. The lack of anxiety, the lack of fear, the lack of worry affects positively your relationships. Okay, it affects the way you treat your kids. It affects, it affects everything. Yeah. Well, think about that, that mentality we touched on earlier, that gambling feeling, right? People like that feeling, but is it, is it a productive feeling? Not typically. It pushes you to make decisions irrationally a lot of times. And when we focus on products and when we look for returns that way, we get caught up in that feeling. But if we have a system that helps us identify returns we can make in a very systematic, value-added manner, it's going to affect us just exactly like you said. If I can say, well, geez, instead of trying to chase a return and bet and gamble to, to generate 10% in something that I have no control over, why don't I lock that 10% in by getting a discount on my tuition? <laughs> so there's more than one way to skin a cat. And if we can do it in that manner of control we're we're going to reap the benefits. Well, and again, I don't know, maybe you give a million examples, but how many how many cases do we come across where clients have a 0% loan or a 0.5% loan or a 0.9% loan? And and they think, "Wow, I'm getting this killer killer deal." Or they're leasing a vehicle, or they're leasing equipment. But if individuals knew how to do the math behind that, they would realize, well, first off, you have to ask the question, if somebody is is uh, is offering a zero percent interest rate? How the how the heck are they in business? <laughs> There's how, how do they make a profit? How do they pay their bills if they just get their principal back? Okay, so you look at that and, and then you realize that there's always going to be a markup on the price of a car. That markup is a much higher interest rate that you can normally get at a bank. So just having the awareness of being able to go into any type of transaction or exchange and know how to maybe save a little bit here, save a little bit there. It's almost the same thing as a return on investment. And, and it's much all less well, stressful with that. <laughs> and it's all well and good to talk about, but how do we accomplish that with infinite banking? Right? Because I could think up a lot of ways to do it. But what gives me the ability to actually bring it into, into, into fruition? Yep. It's, it's control and access to my own capital. And too often, we're used to giving that to somebody else. Yep. And then because it's not in our control, we don't have the opportunity to take advantage of those. Yep. But again, the infinite banking system is, is not about generating a return inside the policy. It's about giving you access to that capital to take advantage of those 
those types of opportunities. And how, and look at how that could change the way in which you approach every every financial transaction. So again, going to the system side of things, it's a system that's that's always worked, always will work. Uh, obviously, it's a, a little bit different than what the mainstream is, and it's difficult sometimes to understand all the different components. But that's why you know we've we've created as much content as we have, just so individuals can go on on their own time. So that being said, I mean, you, our, the product that we created is right on our website. It's absolutely free. You can go and register for it. Uh, the website, again, is www.paradigmlife.net. Right on the bar, you're going to see Infinite 101. Click on there. You register. It's a great, uh, it's a great review for those of you who, who already have implemented the system. Maybe you'll glean some, some other ideas. Um, for those who have listened uh, for a while now, we have a, a website coming out specifically for clients, which is awesome. And, uh, and so that will be rolling out as well, and it will give examples of ways in which clients and ways in which we have been able to you know, obviously make discounts on bigger purchases that we have, that we have in life. So with that being said, Brad, uh, thanks, for, thanks for being here today. It's been a pleasure. Always good. Yeah, you're you're the man. And uh, we have an exciting guest at the uh, at the end of the month. Uh, I, there's a lot of things that have changed in regards to uh, to taxes and also to uh, in, in regards to the legal side of things, specifically estate planning and so forth. And uh, so I have a, a good friend, an attorney. Uh, he's my attorney, uh, Andrew Howell. Will be in the office. Uh, and if you could see him, man, he's a sexy guy. He's a super sexy guy. So I may even I, there's a uh, there's a, a program that we've been looking into called UStream, and uh, we can actually uh, you know have a, a live stream in in the uh, in the studio. So uh, maybe we'll have that up and running. But we we actually create a little uh, little hotline uh, uh, as far as a phone number is concerned for those of you uh, that want to call in and ask questions. That'll be up and running next podcast. Uh, for now, you can email us at podcast at paradigmlife.net. That's podcast, P-O-D-C-A-S-T, at Paradigm, P-A-R-A-D-I-G-M-L-I-F-E dot net. And uh, ask questions. Uh, give us hell. You can haze us. You can you know, tell us that we're crazy. You can uh, you know, ask, ask those questions that may be hard to ask in person. Ask the questions, and, and we'll, uh, we'll start responding to those. So, okay, that's, uh, that's it for this, uh, this segment, and I uh, appreciate you listening, and we'll talk to you next time.